Okay, guys, I guess I have to apologize because we had a technical glitch and we accidentally got booted off of Zoom. So, you know, we're just going to pick up where we left off and hopefully all of our previous uh, verbiage has been recorded. We don't know. We will not know until we're until Joe uh, checks checks into really it. Was, but... it was it's such great stuff. I mean, if it's not there, you really was. Javi opened up the world to us. I've never learned so many amazing things. So hopefully it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he talked you into uh, to drinking strychnine. So that's always a benefit, you know. Well, probably, um, probably good that it's not there then because of legal discussions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm more Nico, of a hemlock is, fan. I'm kind of old school like that. Oh, you, know, oh, you missed out on the, te- uh, the messages last week, uh, Javier. We know who Joe's really a fan of, but we're not going to go oh, there right oh now. My. Oh, yeah. No, you don't want to know. Uh, is Nico back on? Yeah, I'm back. Yes. Oh, okay. I can't see. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I was just you wanted to blow smoke a little bit of, you know, uh, Javier is just such a wonderful instructor, great martial artist, grappler, uh, you know, and he's been there for me through my health issues, uh, or through my breakups, and uh, you I know, mean, you've been there for me too. So, like, yeah, like, well, like, like we had I said. Love the guy. You know, like we had said, you know, Tony was there during the dissolution of my of my first marriage. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. I mean, and we can laugh at it now, but it was just, you know, it was just unbelievable. And uh, I, yeah, I, mean, now, I can only imagine you on the other end. Like you had to think I was joking at first. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then when it, <laughs> when I realized you weren't, I was like dumbfounded. I was in a state of shock. Well, I don't know. She's coming back. I'm like, okay, what? You know, like, wait a minute, what? And I'm thinking, okay, her maybe her car broke down or something happened, and you know. And then he's going on. I'm like, this, I can't believe this, <laughs> you know. And, and then at the time, the, neither could I. No, oh no. And then as the months and turned into years go by, and I'm hearing details of of her. Uh, Life on the road, let's say, whatever. Uh, I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear no more of this, man. This is, but, but that's yeah. Best not to talk about that. Let's talk about positive things. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you know, it's, you, you met a wonderful woman subsequently. Um, absolutely wonderful, and 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 you also met, met your your current wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I met his wife. Karen is a lovely lady, wonderful person. I remember. I think Martin and I went. Martin was my date to your wedding, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, yeah, he, he looked good in that dress, too. <laughs> oh, goodness. He was another one of the uh, legends of the old tool and die shop. Well, he got his own legend from being the star of the Lucky 13, man. That's what made him, uh, you know, just he was a robot. Um, yeah, no, it, the... just off the hook on the conditioning, just, yep. just in, in, you know, built up incredible cardio. You know, like uh, – I wasn't, I, I wasn't much when I came to you, you know, I, I was short and, and kind of doughy, you know, like Martin, Martin was tall and, and thin. And like, I would say on average, if you, if you looked at the two of us, most people would pick Martin as having like this ideal build for grappling, long arms, long legs, real good for, for triangle chokes and darsh chokes and all these other things, you know, arms as sharp as razor blades. Um, like, like he, he, he had just like a good build for it. And, uh, and yeah, to like see him 
grow and, and pack on some muscle and, and get into like crazy good shape from being like a, you know, like a desk jockey computer programmer. It was like a really inspiring thing, you know, like, and, and the worst, the worst thing was like, he started making his best physical progress while I was laid up with the leg injury. Yeah. So yeah, he just left me in the dust. Well, he was good with the head sisters. That was his thing. The chokes with his legs. He was really good at that. And, um, and because of his conditioning and how good he ended up getting um, defensively, especially, you know, we had certain, you know, professionals that would come through that couldn't tap him out because, you know, he was just – conditioning plays a big role in things. But I always tell people it's not just conditioning because if conditioning was all you needed, then Jack LaLanne would have been the toughest guy that ever lived. You know, you have to have the right techniques, um, you know – it's got to be a marriage, you know, everything has to be working in symphony. You have to have the right kind of conditioning. And and uh, Martin had the absolute right kind of conditioning for fighting. He wasn't a powerlifting strong guy. He was cardio and anaerobic, aerobic and anaerobic strength. That's where his, you know, that's, that's, I mean, he just gravitated man to it. Uh, and like, you know, fortunately for, for a good length of time, Martin was my, my main training partner just because of the, the way things worked out. Um, and as a result, like he, he would tap people that, I mean, I had to learn how to keep up with him, but he would tap people basically just through like just attrition. Like they couldn't keep up with him. You know, you would put a pace on a guy and you know, he could keep it and they couldn't. Yeah, that's the thing. He he wasn't uh, a natural for the submissions. You're right. It was his conditioning that – and, hey, any port in the storm, you know. Uh, but everybody has an interesting background. We'd love to have him on here. Um, he's shy, but we'd like to get him on here for sure. But, you know, that's – No better reason to hear him say frontage road. Yeah, frontage. Oh, man. <laughs> I got to say it. I'm going to say it the other one. No, no, let oh, him say no. it. Okay, all right. I'll let Save him that say for it. His episode. All right, I won't do it. I won't do it. Um, but, you know. Uh, that man has a family. <laughs> yeah. Who, who would have thought that, man? You know, I always remember him saying, I just want to live to see when they push the button in the nuclear bombs in World War III and we all die. <laughs> I remember when he had, that was his main goal in life, okay? Um, but, you know. Speaking of, okay, so I think this would be a good time for you to clarify for people out there. Maybe you have a better um, way of approaching it because when I get asked this question, you it'd be better for you to answer it, I think. So a lot of people ask, what's the difference between my style of catch wrestling and the other uh, styles of, of catch wrestling uh, from like England and shit? I think because you have a bit of a background with with that you would probably be the best to explain it and this would be important for people out there so um yeah i I think there's a i think there's some distinct stylistic differences um in terms of like technique selection um a a lot of the so it's, it's it's weird because like when we look at it the majority of the guys that i see that are currently you know attribute their art as catch wrestling. Um, a lot of them learned from like uh, Billy Robinson or Carl Gotch or one of their students. 
So I'd say there's a lot of, you know, in Japan and in certain parts of the, of the U S there's a lot of that influence. And they of course came from the same gym. They're, they're snake pit trained athletes originally. Um, so I see a lot of similarities in the technique selection that they do. Like the way they grip up on a double wrist lock is wildly different from the way that we do it. Um, and, and like, I suppose back in the day, I primarily contributed that to like a difference between like the European and American styles, because I felt like, uh, again, only seeing this in, in like books and whatnot, but I felt like, um, like John Pesek, for example, used a very similar grip sequence for the double wrist lock and, and, and the way he would grip the hand and whatnot to how you did it. Um, Luthez did it the same way as you did it. Um, so like, I felt that that was probably an American thing, but maybe, maybe it's actually more of a, a, a gym thing than like, yeah. you know, a difference of like American versus European. But um, yeah, so, so this, this is a pretty hard subject to cover like without going into like very specific examples. And like, if somebody wants a, a, you know, the specific examples, I feel like you've already covered the topic pretty well in the show. No go. Well, all right, maybe or, then uh, we'll, we'll then, and then some of this has to be demonstrated as well. Right, right. It's, it's kind of uh, hard to talk around. But well, um, for sure, it's uh, st- strategy is completely different. That, right. that was all 100% entertainment wrestling, show wrestling, whereas what, right. so a lot where of, I came from. A lot of show holds. Yeah. Uh, a, lot, a lot of show holds, some of, some of them being passed off as legitimate holds, perhaps due to not knowing any better, and others just, you know, being like, a variation that, that maybe in my estimation doesn't work as well. Um, and, and then of course there, the, obviously there are legitimate holds that they're doing that, you know, perhaps they're doing them different setups, different ways. Uh, but, uh, the other thing that I think is kind of noteworthy is I feel like the actual baseline wrestling skills are often different in different lineages of catch wrestling. So like, we have a very freestyle folk style base for our wrestling skill with the way you do it and your ability to chain submissions and, and whatnot is at least in part about, you know, based upon the way that like Nelson's and Hammerlocks and, and those other aspects uh, work in even the amateur styles of wrestling, I feel. So that's a big factor as well. If you're, if you're just coming into it, you know, like, like, obviously not everyone's the the same here, but like if you were just to start, you know, Joe's catch wrestling over here and like only want to learn the submissions, it's maybe is entirely possible that they would let you do that. Whereas you adamantly refused to let us have any fun with the submissions (laughs) until you felt we could legitimately wrestle to them and understood how to, to chain to and from them. So like, I, I felt like that was a big factor as well. 20 some years ago, Bruce, our Bruce Lee, Bruce, somebody asked him that, uh, and he posted this on the forum back then. He said, I, I think I remember this. Yeah. Yeah. We wrestle from hold to hold. And if you watch some of the other styles, they don't wrestle from hold to hold. I'm not, I mean, again, we're painting with a broad brush. There's individuals Very, yeah, that may yeah. do that, but in general, there's, there's not that wrestling cause it wasn't needed. Um, and and I think that was part of one of the problems um, when the Gracies went over there or Gracie stylists uh, to Japan and started to have their way. You know, they were 
they were very successful going up against those, you know, shoot old shoot wrestler types because they weren't wrestlers really. They were they were right. guys that knew I submissions. Mean, they were some they, of them were very talented though. But then you have a guy like Sakuraba who actually did have an extensive wrestling background. Right. Also, you know, like like you know, obviously a, a, a in his era, you know, very innovative, very exciting and whatnot. But again, you've got a guy like Sakuraba really, really understands wrestling, you know, is a legitimately good grappler and was able to take those techniques and integrate them into an overall style that was very effective. Absolutely. And that's where, uh, that's pretty much where I was leading to. When you had the guys that were more entertainers, performance, or maybe martial artists or, you know, but from a different uh, style and even some that, that, maybe had some wrestling, but couldn't put the connection together, um, made, made for a big deal. And, and like I said, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, actually long, you know, 25 years ago or whatever, I was trying to tell the people, it's different. What they're doing, that style is not what I teach. You know, it's not as severe because it didn't need to be. Just like boxers have different styles. Um, Jiu-jitsu schools probably have different styles. Judo, it's, it's different. And my approach or my instincts are completely different because mine was all about learning how to do it at the highest level. And for real, like you don't lose the belt. You don't lose the match. You lose your life. So for me, it was nothing was more serious than this. Um, and that's why a lot of times it was hard in the gym. A lot of guys, a lot of times I'm sure you guys didn't have fun because that was a killjoy because I'm, I'm like, damn it, this shit's serious. You know, I, you don't need, to be messing around here um you know, I mean, for real um i mean the, the overall atmosphere of the training was generally pretty serious um you know which is not to say we didn't have fun but i would say it, again painting the very broad brush here but having been to a lot of brazilian jiu-jitsu gyms having been to a lot of judo uh, dojos uh, I would say, especially Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, tends to be like a more laid-back, lax environment. There's a lot of joking around. Guys are chilling on the edge of the mat. When we were there, we were there to put in work. And to this day, this influences the way that I even talk about uh, the way I teach martial arts because I will tell my guys, like, we're here to do work. You know, and this is not to say that I, I, I'm not, you know, I actually, you know, do joke around with my guys and whatnot, but when it's time to be serious, you know, it's, it's time to, to do work. That's how I always explain the work. Um, but, uh, another thing to, to kind of keep in mind, I feel, and again, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush here. Cause not that I'm not still at least somewhat involved in the catch wrestling community, but like the catch wrestling community is way different now all these years later than it was when, you know, when, when I first started and it was, you know, much smaller, very different arguments. Although some of those, some of those same arguments are still there, I guess. Um, uh, uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I just feel like, um, the, the overall approach was, uh, you were less concerned about like winning gold medals. You know, you, you, those of us that wanted to compete, you encouraged it and you obviously wanted us to do well, but like, it was definitely more focused on like real altercations, you know, things that you would do to end a fight permanently or, or quickly, uh, versus, you know, like the sort of attitude of, uh, you know, anyone can do this, uh, jujitsu is for everyone is real common expression, you know, um, 
certain gyms definitely have a have a a more carefree and easygoing style than others. Well, and, uh, and yeah. also don't forget, and it still holds true to a degree today. The vast majority of my techniques were not allowed in any of those tournaments back then. I mean, first of all, most of them just completely outright forbid leg locks. But just the way that we do the leg locks or the neck cranks or the twisting locks, even to this day, can't be done. Can't do it this way, your way, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's frustrating. Yeah. Let me speak on that because, like, I've competed in a lot of different tournament formats. Um, So we've got a lot. Jiu-Jitsu is weird in this way because, like, you know – judo basically has like one rule set, you know, like freestyle wrestling is this internationally regulated sport. It's got one rule set, you know, so on and so forth. Jiu-jitsu does not have like this universal governing body and it doesn't quite have like a universal rule set either. So you've got a lot of different formats, uh, tournament formats that allow different rules. Now at the, at the lower belt levels, uh, you know, say, say like white belt and blue belt in gi jiu-jitsu and in many cases no gi jiu-jitsu but let's let's talk about gi jiu-jitsu for just a minute here the only leg lock that would be allowed would be an ankle lock and you're not allowed to reap the leg which is you know when you when you step over uh and put outward pressure inward which is basically the way you teach an ankle lock or a heel hook um you you you're not allowed to do um knee bars toe holds or calf crushes calf slices whatever you want to call them um, until brown belt and, and in gi jiu-jitsu, you're basically never allowed to do heel hooks, even though a toe hold and a heel hook are, are, you know, kissing cousins. Now in no gi, um, depending on the tournament, there's a lot of tournaments that will allow a lot more of those holds and will even allow like neck cranks and spine locks, which are otherwise generally not done in jiu-jitsu. Um, obviously we have tournaments like, uh, ADCC which is a submission grappling style and their rule set is intended to be, you know, open to the many different styles of grappling. They basically allow anything, um, very anything goes uh, in terms of that. And now just this year, this is, this is brand new. um, The IBJJF, probably the biggest uh, uh, jujitsu organization is now going to allow heel hooks and reaping for Brown and black belts in Nogi, but only in the adult divisions. You can't do it in the master's divisions. So you got you to compete with the 20-year-olds, the basically, to, uh, to, turn, to, to have those rules. So it does not apply to the gi. Uh, and IBJJF is generally known more for their gi uh, competitions than anything else. And again, only applies for brown and black belts in adult divisions. So if I wanted to, if I wanted to go and do like an IBJJF no-gi world championship and I want to be allowed to do heel hooks, despite the fact that I'm you know, a black belt, uh, I would need to to go in with guys that are probably 20 years younger than me to to do that. But that's that's a brand new rule just this year. It, it like we'll see if that changes over time again. Okay, good. That's you know pretty much it's a start. Yeah. Well, it's too late now, but you know they, they could have done this. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 25 years ago, they could have been training with me, and they would all been world beaters, you know. But and then now when you add the rips and everything else, which is just. Uh, and the whole approach of, of going after a submission, um, it changes everything. So, like, one of the problems with, with what Javier is saying, and this is this is really bad, um, is that, okay, let's say now all of a sudden you're a brown belt, and now they throw these things. Okay, now you can start doing these things. Well, you should have been doing those things from the very beginning because it will alter everything. 
Okay. It shouldn't be like you just, you're making something and you're throwing this on top. It has to be blended in and baked in because from day one, if I realize we'll use his terminology that a reaping heel hook can happen to me, then I am going to monitor my legs and I'm going to attack you and approach you in a completely different way. Now, if I'm told you don't have to worry about that for now, well, then I'm, I'm going to get lazy with my stuff. And to prove that this exists, you take good amateur wrestlers, okay? We're talking very good amateur wrestlers who have never done submissions, especially back then when they weren't 20 years ago when they didn't even see submissions. Right. And they were getting tapped out because they were letting their arms dangle or, you know, what have you, uh, their neck. Well, most guys, you know, that come to any grappling style that has submissions from like an amateur folk style, freestyle uh, background, they're going to shoot. Their, their head's not in good position to defend something like a guillotine. They're going to easily give up their back and, and get their back taken and get choked out. They're going to get triangled, not realizing they're in danger. Those things happen constantly because they don't have the submission awareness. And that same problem happens with uh, conventionally trained jujitsu athletes when their coach is like, we're not going to teach leg locks until a certain point. We're not right. going to show, you know, this move. Um, you know, again, this is, you know, for people that have the terminology, um, hopefully this will be clear, but like, I like to do what in jujitsu is called an omoplata. Um, it, it, it's, it's like a chicken wing with my leg. You, you demonstrate on the lost art of hooking. I don't, I, I'm a, unfortunately, yeah. I don't remember what you actually call it there, but, but the omoplata is a well-known move in jujitsu. And, one of the really common counters that I run into um, that basically happens from like white belt to purple belt. And I've seen relatively high level coaches teach this is guys will, you know, you've got them in the omoplata and the guys will step over your body to try and get their legs to the other side so that they're, they're over in like a cross side on you with their arms still tangled up and they're able to pull it out from there and, and they feel relatively safe. And I warn guys all the time. I'm like, you're getting away with that right now because you're going against opponents that aren't allowed to toehold you as you step over. And they'll be like, what do you mean? And then I'll show them. I'll just like grab up a toehold as they step over and like, Oh, I'm like, yeah, like this is not a good technique period really, but it's going to work for you because until Brown belt, people aren't allowed to do the counter that's right there. Well, let me throw something in there. Uh, and, and this will hit home with certain people that are listening. If you come from a classical, let's say piano, classical piano background, you are taught to do your scales in a certain way. Fingering, you're fingering. Everybody does it, generally speaking, the identical way. Very difficult. And a lot of jazz players do come from a classical background. Some don't. But there are certain scales or certain runs that use what's, what is called jazz fingering. Okay. Now, if you're a jazz guy and you started out with that, you have no problem. But many classical players struggle because it's like different fingering. And while they can pull it off, it's not natural. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable. And that's part of the problem because for years they developed that muscle memory. And now they're shown a different way. And it's, yeah, they may be capable of doing it. It's a long it. learning curve. It, it's a very long learning curve. And it will not become in, instinct, instinctual for you. So. Yeah, I I would say, and I've, I've seen that it, it varies from gym to gym. Let's be very clear. I don't want to paint with too right. broad of a brush here and like label everyone, but there are definitely some gyms that have that approach of, we're not going to really expose the students to it until they're allowed to legally do it in competition. And I feel that's a 
terrible mistake because now you're behind the eight ball. If if you're a you know again jujitsu terminology here, if you're a fresh brown belt, you get your brown belt on Saturday. And the next week you're going to a tournament and your coach hasn't been teaching you any of those leg locks and, and other submissions that weren't legal because they weren't legal till then. You could go up against a guy who's been a brown belt for four years and has that, you know, even if he just learned them day one as a brown belt, he's still got four years more experience of doing them than you do. You know, so I always advocate, uh, I find personally, uh, and I've had a lot of success with this with athletes at, at the various gyms I teach at. Um, I find it is better off to teach somebody something, make sure they have a firm understanding it, of especially understand mechanically how to defend it, okay, so that they don't get injured, you know, doing something crazy in a situation that they think they're safe and they're not. But um, and then it's easier for me to say, okay, for this tournament you can't do A, B, and C, than it is for me to go, okay, you get a new shiny belt, and by the way, now you have to learn all this new stuff and change your game completely. I agree with you, and I also think that's a problem with people who don't strike, who don't understand the importance of everything that comes into boxing. Let's say we'll stick with boxing, the head movement, the how to keep your hands, keeping your chin down, and all of that jazz, and the right way to throw punches. Because eventually, and this has happened countless times, where people who just have grappling and they try to either go into an MMA thing or street self defense, they get their you know they get their asses beat because punches is like a whole new environment to them. Um, so, you know, you really have to have, I believe more than a working knowledge, but at least a working knowledge, you have to be exposed to it, you know, and, and I know it's, it's gotten a lot better through the years because 20, 25 years ago, these, these schools were still like not even allowing takedowns. They were doing things from their knees. <clears throat> and I, I know mean, that that situation's improved. Th- that definitely still happens in some schools where uh, more often what I see these days very rarely will two guys start like on knees and like just wrestle from their knees. Cause I think most coaches realize that that's a, an unrealistic situation that does not happen even in jujitsu. Like, um, but even in the schools that don't prefer to work a lot of takedowns, I feel most of them will choose a situation where like one person is standing, the other person is performing say like an open guard and we're working like a passing situation, standing versus open guard. Um, or, or we'll have like, what's called double guard pole where basically both people are seated and, and initiating uh, techniques from there because that also, you know, kind of unique to jujitsu happens. Uh, but I feel like um, it has definitely changed with time and, and still very school dependent. Most, most competitors that try to have a rounded game will have some takedowns. And it also changes a little bit based on weight class. I feel too, the lighter weight classes are again in jujitsu, um, uh, have this tendency to play a lot of bottom game um, and not necessarily perfect their takedowns. Whereas, you know, the heavyweights almost always want to be on top. So even if they don't get, you know, like, like they have to at least be moderately proficient with takedowns. Otherwise you end up in a situation where it's like two big guys just ramming horns over and over again until somebody falls over, gets tired, slips, whatever. And that would obviously be a terrible way to get it to the ground. Well, to each his own, you know, that's, you know, that's the, the path that certain people want to take, you know. Uh, but, I, I mean, I'm glad for the knowledge that I learned. I'm glad in for the way that I learned. Um, I wouldn't have it any other way because it works for me. It worked for the environment that I was in. And it just seems that my whole life I've been around caustic situations as, 
you know, some of those situations that I've been in and, you know, they've been life and death and it just is weird how many times it happens, but it happens. Um, But, you know, for others that are out there and, you know, to me, I I think one of the biggest things is uh, people look at me, like you mentioned earlier, oh, Tony's a big guy, right? Well, the majority, I mean, almost every one of my students was not big at all. I mean, so you look at somebody like Javier, um, we hope to have Paul Dodds on, who's from England. He's 140 pounds, um, 5'6", I believe. Uh, You know, Martin was roughly the size of Hoist Gracie. Brian was the size of Hoist Gracie. You know, none, you know, these weren't like brutes. I mean, yes, I did have some guys that I trained that were in, you know, like Brian Klaus and, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, Brian, Brian was a big dude, but I was was going to say, I I think out of all the, the, the regular students, you know, Bruce obviously was also one of the coaches, but you know, like out of the, out of the regular group of students, Costa was probably the biggest one of us, wasn't he? Like, well, he wasn't. Yeah, he was just. He, you know, no, he wasn't big, but like no, right. he was. He was the next, 200. like next to you. He was the next biggest guy, or maybe yeah. Brian. I, I, well, I'd have to see them next to each other. <laughs> the problem with 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 uh, Costa, and we want him on the show too, is that he had a bad back like mine. His back would go out, man. Then he'd put on weight. You know, it was hard for him to. You know, he'd gas out right away. He had no conditioning because you know he was always injured. And you know, but Brian was lean, tall, and lean. Um, but my point is, you know, these weren't Mr. Mr. America's, you know, uh, they, they were not gigantic guys. Uh, but uh, I was really the only guy that was consistently seven days a week, over 200 pounds. Okay. Right. Um, but the, the thing though, uh, is the, the, the strikes are so important and that nobody really got into that. Uh, even the rips, we would lose so many people. They would work out with us for a while. Because I wouldn't int- introduce them to ripping on the first day because I knew they'd never come back. But you, you know, even after they were there for a while, and then and then the rips, they started to get okay. Here's the day that you're going to get ripped. They knew that every day after that, rips are going to be a part of the wrestling. Yeah, ninety nine percent of them quit. They could not handle that because of the the pain. Nobody was getting injured, but the pain of it, you know, um, and it it's also mentally demoralizing because you realize right away your submissions, you, you know, the change is the way you can approach applying and maintaining a submission hold because man, when you rip the right way and you know it, cause you've been through it, you, you know that yeah. it, I mean, grown men, let's put it this way. Grown men cry and they cry like babies. It's that painful. Yeah. No, it like, there, there have been many occasions where I've been, you know, asked to show somebody catch wrestling holds. And that is the part that I have to decide when I do it, whether I'm going to include it or not. Oftentimes I will demonstrate the hold, show it, you know, 90% of the way that it would be done. And then after they get the fundamental, like say a top wrist lock, for example, and once they get the fundamental differences between say a top wrist lock and an Americana or Udigarami or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, w- once they understand that, then I have to uh, be like, okay, let me show you now how we would do this for real, you know, and, and start ripping on the face and whatnot. And uh, I, I just know from experience that if I showed that first, they wouldn't get through the technique. Oh, like, absolutely. I, absolutely. I, I have to, I have to show it at the end as a, you can add this on at the end to make it even meaner and more effective. 
Um, but I would definitely lose them if I just started with that. You know, I, I 100% agree with you, you know, and um, getting back again to the differences between styles and not just other catch styles, but just jujitsu and everything, judo, whatever. I'm more control oriented. I'm all about controlling the opponent. I don't care about this uh, position necessarily. I'm, I'm painting with a broad brush there. Of course, I don't want to put myself in a bad spot, but I can show you how you can have the identical position. I've shown this many times where one slight, maybe imperceptible thing changes. And now I went from being controlled to being in control. And it's all about uh, knowing how to control a person, making him do what you want him to do. And ripping is a part of it, but also the approach of the submissions. Since I use the whole body to attack, um, that changes my approach and it changes my thought process. And, you know, people used to wonder how can Tony get these submissions so quickly seconds. It's because of, not because of my physicality, you know, but because of my approach. It's the setups. It's the setups. And I have setups that, you know, I've never did a video. I don't think so on setups. I may have, sh- may have shown a couple uh, here. You've definitely shown setups within the context of a given yeah. position, but I know, never delved but... deep into it, but setups are like creating a song. Okay. It's all about consciousness, where I'm at, what energy I'm getting from you, how we're going about this. And all of my setups will be unique, perhaps like a pool match, you know, you know, the shots, but every game is slightly different. That's the beauty of it. And that's something that can't be, taught via video you have to yeah, be no, a person you, you mostly yeah. have to feel that to really you have to feel it. it and see me watch me and i have to see you watch you and start making you uh, a little more aware of what the possibilities and potentialities are um and that's why what i do and what i've taught you guys is can't be pigeonholed it's so different that even these damn instructional uh videos don't really um do it justice I I, I would absolutely agree with you there. And one of the things that like above and beyond the fact you can't feel it and there's, there's little subtle details you might be missing that just aren't picked up on camera. Like it it looks the same, but doesn't feel the same is, is something I tell people all the time. Like I'll get in there and be like, Hey, you see how my shoulders placed here? Well, right now, you know, he can tell you that it's about to feel different, but you guys aren't going to be able to see it. You know, or or I've got my hands locked in a particular way, but they're buried under my body. So you can't tell that my knuckles are going into his sternum right now, but I tell you they are, and he can definitely feel it. Whereas if I turn my hand over, now it's he, he's much more comfortable. You know, little things like that that are very hard to pick up uh, on video or, or sometimes almost impossible to see because of just relative body positioning. And that's right. the, you know, that, that's the stuff that, that you basically need in person to really fully understand, or you need a very, very detailed breakdown to kind well, of like explain it. That's why I'm, I really push for the Tri-C program, the distance learning, especially now with the COVID, and that's going to be around for a while. All mm-hmm. training has changed. I can do that now. I can I can make a video for you, you know, after we've been training a while and we're exchanging videos, I can see and say, okay, here, blah, 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 blah. It's really important. You can't I, – I hate to sound like a huckster here, like I'm selling, but I am, because you just can't get this anywhere else in the world. In 7 billion people, you can't. And that's when I was learning this, after a, an X amount of time uh, with Stanley, and I, don't, I can't tell you how long, but it, the light bulb, it, it, it clicked. I knew. I said, 
you're not going to get this anywhere else. You know, that happened to me twice. You know, um, well, kind of three times with Ronnie Moon, but really with Jerry Sigler here in Chicago with the accordion, no one in the world plays jazz accordion. No one, not one human being plays it like he does with those block chords. So I knew this is the only place that I'm going to learn how to do this through him. And the same thing with Rod Von. This is the only way, this is the only place on planet Earth, you know, that I can learn to do this as a kid. But, you know, and, it, and this is the point that I try to get across to people. You're not, I'm not saying don't study with this guy or that guy or that, da, 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 but you're not going to be able to get this. You can't just go to a, your phone book or online and Google some guy in your town that's going to teach you what I teach. Um, you know, you're a phenomenal instructor and I'm glad that you're able to do it. You teach more people than I do. Um, but I just can't get that point across to people enough. I just can't. And that's why I get infuriated when I see other people teach stuff that I'm like, God, this is so not right. They're missing the bigger, you know, they're missing the bigger picture. You know, um, it's almost like going up to a, a world, the world's greatest poet and saying, you know, uh, roses are red, violets are blue. I think you're cute. And, you know, so do I, or whatever, <laughs> you know, you're making up some gibberish, right? Uh, that's just, that's how I am. I mean, it's like, God, there's so much that these people are missing, you know, and if they would just humble themselves and come to me for training, I could, I could elevate them quickly and say, look, you need to train with me. I can, I can magnify your abilities quickly. And for those who are just beginning, that's even better because now I don't have any bad habits to have you unlearn. Right. Right. Um, yeah, no, that definitely complicates things. One of the things like, you know, uh, and I do have like a pretty extensive martial arts background, you know, even, even after I started training with you, I, I still eventually pursued other martial arts. But one of the things that I found is kind of beneficial in that way is um, because I've trained so many different things and, and whatnot, it's, relatively easy for me to slot things in for people where it's like, Hey, you're doing things this way. Let me show you a, a little modification that will make that better. But at no point in time have I truly felt that I can just like, like just, you know, let's, let's start with a blank canvas here and I'm just going to show you everything, you know, whole cloth, how we should do it. it, it it's always at best I get, most guys are interested in learning like that piecemeal approach. So I can never personally give them like, the full picture is, is I guess what I'm saying. Me, yeah, that's that, how they, I felt. Yeah. For that, but for that, they need you. Yeah. Well, I get it. But to add to that, even when you were at the gym through the years, we'd have a fighter come to train, but they're, they're with me for three days, four days or a week, right. you know, a week or two before their fight. That's, you know, I'll like, you know, I'll, I'll show them and I'll help them. And, you know, some, I trained a little bit more than that, but yeah, it, it's very difficult when you come to me, last minute or this or that. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I feel in so many cases, like if you're not going to make a, you know, and this applies to any component of mixed martial arts, like, like if you go to somebody for a limited period of time, you're probably looking for a magic bullet. I, if you're serious about it, you're going to dedicate years to it, you know? Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Like, but I think people also like, this is the weird thing. I think people overestimate how much time it's going to take to get good at something and underestimate like, uh, 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 well, maybe not underestimate, but, but like they think it's going to take 20 years 
to, to master something. And it's like, listen, man, we can get really, really good at something in a couple of years, so long as we're doing dedicated training. Like, you're not going to get any good at something if you're coming, you know, if you put an hour a week into something, you're not going to get good at anything, you know. Right. Wrestling is one of my favorite things to talk about with guys because, and I run into this in jujitsu, I've run into this in judo. So many guys will be like, damn it, I wish I wrestled in high school. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You did not wrestle in high school. And you see other guys that did that have this clear advantage in physicality, toughness, balance, you know, all these things, let alone the actual technical aspects of wrestling that, that allow them to do takedowns or, 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 or you know, uh, the way they move on the ground. And you're like lamenting the fact that you didn't wrestle in high school and this guy did. But that guy wrestled in high school, maybe for only four seasons. Okay. We don't know if he had a more extensive background than that, but let's say he wrestled in high school for four seasons. Okay. That's four years and only, only a couple of months out of each of those years. Okay. Now the things that made him so good are presumably some proper training methodology. Okay. He, he's got a, he's got a coach that breaks it down and, and gives him a good approach. So he's not just getting like random bullshit techniques thrown at him. Okay. Um, drilling things correctly. Okay. And, and also, and I feel this is a really important point that people don't realize in other sports, a lot of competition in a very, a very com compact window. So during that wrestling season, you know, a guy might have more matches in a single wrestling season than a competitor in say jujitsu might have in a couple of years of jujitsu competition, just because the, the volume uh, you know, doing multiple meets a week, you know, uh, getting multiple matches each time. Whereas some, some relatively competitive athletes in jujitsu uh, might only do like a competition once a month, once every couple of months, and they might get only a few matches at each competition, depending on how they do. So those things combined, you're looking at a guy who's a high school wrestler, air quotes on that, you know, who's got maybe four years of, of serious experience. It's not like he dedicated 30 years of his life. So if you go in like as a jujitsu guy and you feel like you wished you wrestled in high school, all you're telling me is that you would like to dedicate, you, you should be thinking, I would like to dedicate the next four years to learning these things that I, I don't know. And if you have a proper approach and good instruction and, and a correct mindset, I feel like you should be able to, to, to do that. You know, uh, probably easier to learn when you're younger. Don't get me wrong, but you should be able to, to focus and train and do that in that window of time and gain a similar level of proficiency. If everything's done right. Very well put, you know, and even kids that did youth wrestling, you know, um, that doesn't guarantee that they're going to go to the Olympics, you know? Uh, right. Yeah. Right. And, and you don't, another big thing is you don't need all of these techniques. Okay. Like um, you just look at any, you know, skilled wrestler that makes a transition to MMA, you know, you're not seeing 40, 50 different kind of takedowns. Okay. No, uh, no, definitely not. Right. Yeah. You, you know, know, so you don't need to focus on a wider because of the, because of the, um, the interaction that you're going to have with your opponent, it's going to be completely different. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Not to, not to beat up on anyone, but like you look at somebody like uh, Daniel Cormier, who has an excellent number of techniques that he's hit in his MMA career. Okay. And, 
while, you know, like he's got that, that high crotch lift he's really good at. He's got some, some clinch takedowns that he's really good at and everything. But Daniel Cormier isn't going in for like a low John Smith style single. You know, he, he, he's, he's not, there's a ton of techniques that are out there that those aren't in his selection of techniques, but he's gotten very, very good at the ones he has chosen to use. And pro- right. he probably used, he probably used more in his wrestling career than his M- MMA career, of course, where, where he's got to contest with striking and whatnot. But, you know, like he's going to take a segment of the techniques that he knows, he's going to refine them to the highest possible level, and he's going to rely heavily on those probably less than a dozen total techniques. You're 100% Javier, right. Is, is that your approach to grappling as well, to basically master not so many quantity of moves, but a select few moves and just refine them and master them? So this is a very yes, but no question for me. And I'll, I'll explain why. If we're talking about me taking an athlete and wanting to teach them what they need to know for competitive success, then absolutely, yes, we're going to want to limit the number of decisions that they have to make. And we want to set up paths that we're going to take people down where the athlete has the most experience and can, and, and, and can uh, minimize the number of reactions that the opponent could possibly have. We're going to become experts in our, in our field um, in the hopes that we do more reps than, than what the other guy, could, you know, offense, defense, everything. We know more about the game than the other guy could possibly know. Okay. So that's, that's a very good approach for especially competitive athletes. Uh, I don't need my competitive athletes to be the most rounded. I'm way more okay with them being uh, specialists so long as they can drag somebody into their specialty by hook or by crook. Okay. Like if, if you're really good at something, but you can't manage to get there, you really do not have a very good technique base. Okay. Now, by contrast, and this is especially not a problem, but this is an issue for me because I'm still a competitive athlete, but I also teach a lot. My job as an instructor isn't just to teach my personal A game because so few of the athletes I work with grapple like me because of differences in, in uh, physical attributes, differences in, in uh, body dimensions, differences in, in mental attitude about grappling. Um, so it's my job, I as an instructor, as a coach, have to know a very broad set of techniques in a more than passingly competent way. Because if I get a guy, you know, like, like we were talking about Martin, if I was Martin's coach, and like fortunately Tony was Martin's coach, but if I was Martin's coach, I'm not going to be able to do triangle chokes and head scissors as well as somebody who's taller and better built for them. But if Martin comes with those, those long, strong runner's legs. And I'm like, well, I'm going to teach you my favorite thing, despite the fact that you're probably gonna be better at other stuff. I'm doing him a massive disservice as a coach. So I, you know, to bring it all together, athletes wise, I I want them to, to have generally a more specialized game and to take people into deep waters because they know how deep the water goes. But when we're talking about being on that coaching path and instructor's path, now we need, we still want deep knowledge, obviously, and we still want to have an A game, but I definitely need my guys to have broader knowledge because they're going to have to teach people things that they maybe don't have an opportunity to be great at. And then when, if, if I have an athlete who, for example, triangle jokes, I, I got short legs. I probably don't have, I'm probably not the guy that should be teaching people triangle jokes, but if I get somebody to the highest level of proficiency that I can with what I know now, 
either they have to take it to the next level of their own, or they're going to have to seek out somebody who can take them to the next level, who has those details that maybe I can't fully give them. So that's, that's kind of my approach. I agree um, with you so perfectly. And I tell people this, the exact same thing that you say. And not only Nico, I tell people, a lot of people write me about to try C or just training. Am I too old? And I tell them, no, you're never too old to learn. And no matter what happens along the way, if life gets in the way or you have an injury, hey, now's the time to start learning these other techniques, maybe techniques that you, you personally won't do. But if you want to be a coach, you have to have this um, encyclopedic knowledge of what, you know, what's out there. So, um, yeah, as an athlete, as a competitor, as a fighter, you work within your window of, of skill set. But as a coach, you want to broaden your horizons. Um, so really, like Javier hit on, there's, there's something for everybody. And even as an athlete, um, once your competitive career is done well, and you want to make the transition to coaching, well, now you can broaden your knowledge. I'm telling you now, you take the greatest coaches – in any sport, wrestling, boxing, football, not so much, well, boxing too, but wrestling, football, basketball, there's always new plays being developed. There's new strategies being developed. And the coaches have to stay on top of that, okay? Uh, so they, they can't just live in a time warp. And I see that in martial arts in general a lot, where people want to live like, like it was in the 1920s. They want to do yeah. 1920 techniques. Well, those guys would get blown out of the water by today's guys. They wouldn't stand a chance. Okay. I, I, I feel like martial arts is particularly vulnerable to that. And I, I think there's a couple of reasons why there's a lot of, there's a lot of hero worship that happens in combat sports in general. Um, like, like I, I'm not, I, I'm so not the boxing guy, but, but like how many times have you heard guys like be like, you know, Ali in his prime versus Tyson in, their, in his prime, who would you pick? It's like these guys don't even come from overlapping eras, really. You know, like, like how are you, you know, like so many things have changed. Well, we do that in other combat sports and like people will definitely argue adamantly in favor of whoever their personal grappling MMA, whatever hero might be. Um, and oftentimes I, th I think that's generally ridiculous. The sole exception of that, and I think this is noteworthy, is Sometimes we will have rules changes in a given sport that may degrade the overall level of the sport. So, for example, I, I'm going to beat up on judo for a second here. When judo outlawed leg grabs, I was very upset because I felt that it took away from not just the techniques that judo athletes were going to learn and focus on, um, but I felt it did real harm to judo as a martial art um, because now certain clubs, the clubs that focus on competition, they're not going to teach double legs, single legs, ankle picks, anything like that. You're going to teach uh, fireman's carry kataguruma uh, in, in an entirely different way. Some of those make some of that may create new and interesting innovations, but ultimately that also means their athletes are less rounded. They don't know how to defend those things as well. They're not going to have the ability to cross over into other disciplines, which obviously is a, more of a concern for someone like me who trains in a lot of disciplines than it is for somebody who chooses to specialize. But we're also shrinking the overall catalog of available techniques and, in my opinion, doing harm to the, 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 the canonical knowledge of judo. Um, and as a result of that, like 
that's a big changeover. I might be able to argue. And again, we, we still have to like decide the rule set, but I might be able to argue like so-and-so judoka from such and such era before this major rules change was a better overall, more complete practitioner than this modern guy who grew up in this rule set that doesn't even allow you to touch the legs with your hands. You know, the, and we, we you know, Tony, I'm sure you could come up with a, an example in, in boxing or wrestling or football or whatever, where a major rule change might impact the, the uh, I don't want to say caliber because that's not the case, but uh, like might impact the overall ability because a, a large number of techniques would be taken away. Oh, sure. You, you hit the nail on the head and that's, you know, but, but, but then the modern guy, they're going to be better at certain techniques because they have less to choose from. So now right. they got to become a little more innovative, innovative sometimes, but um yeah, you can de- you can degrade things, and then, well, we're getting off the subject. But then you have equipment coming into play that can Certainly. really change things. You know, um, yeah, big time, especially yeah. in certain other sports. But you know, um, for me, I was always wide open, and I always said, and every Javier could tell you, the one rule in my gym is there's no rules. Okay, as far as <laughs> techniques to use, there are none. Now there was rules of etiquette naturally, right. um, but. No, no actual gouging the eye, but you could put your elbow on my eye socket, you know, (laughs) right. You know, just something, you know, uh, just so you know that this could, you know, this would, this would happen in, in a real world, you know, this, this can happen. Um, but beside all that, even if you, you live in a Pollyanna world where you're not going to get into a fight, or at least you think you're not, and you don't want to compete and so on. Well, don't you want to know what's really out there, what the potential is in the human body, what you can do? Uh, you know, that's what I was all about. You know, this are, these are the ways that you can manipulate a body because there's only so many ways you can do it, right? But there's, there's I think we talked about this the other show. There's, there's a finite amount of techniques, but there's an infinite amount of variety and approaches because of your mind. And you have to develop your mind you have to open up that if you want to get philosophical or mystical, that third eye, you've got to open that up and start channeling and seeing things and looking at the body now as a canvas, a blank canvas, and you can create, you can do things, this and that to the human body. If you just have the right vision and so many people have the natural ability, um, they don't have the vision. They're not shown the vision. They're not even aware that there is a bigger picture here. Um, and that's sad. Javier, I'd, I'd be interested to hear you compare and contrast like all the different grappling styles that you trained in. So what, what, makes, what makes Sambo different than – I'm not really familiar with Sambo, but what makes it different than catch wrestling? I know they do a lot of leg locks as well, but um, is, oh, is there well, a lot of similarity with the two like, arts? So there's a wildly different approach to like um, so. Okay, first of all, uh, let's let's explain this this way. Sambo is first and foremost primarily like the way the scoring is set up and the way the majority of practitioners play the game. Okay, Sambo is primarily a throwing art first and foremost. Okay, it is possible in Sambo to get a clean throw and instantly win, having never had it go to the ground to pin or submit anyone. Okay, 
Uh, that's called a total victory throw. It's similar, but actually harder to do than getting a, an epon in judo. Okay. Uh, because the criteria for a total victory throw is I have to throw my opponent with power and control, landing him basically flat on his back while I remain standing. Okay. This is a, this is a big ask. Um, but it, it, it's also possible to get one off of it. Not like that sounds like it's like, like just murderous throwing, but it's also possible to do that. If you like just foot sweep somebody with like perfect timing, and they land flat on their back and you stay standing. Okay. So I would say Sambo, for example, is a throwing art that has pins and submissions. Um, and of those submissions, um, it, sorry, there are different rule sets for Sambo. We have combat Sambo. We have sports Sambo. I'm talking about sports Sambo right now, which is the, the jacketed based strictly grappling art. Um, uh, Sambo is a throwing art that has straight arm locks. So like uh, Jujikatami or, or arm bar, whatever name you know it as. Um, and also a variety of leg locks. Now, the leg locks that they use in Sambo, and there's quite a few of them, but um, Sports Sambo excludes the use of heel hooks and toe holds. Sports Sambo also has some interesting rules that um, when you hit the ground, if the opponent is able to get back to a standing position, we reset to the feet. Okay. So if I go to say do a knee bar on you and you can simply stand up out of it or an ankle lock or something, um, if you can lift me off the mat while I'm trying to arm bar you and stand up, we're going to get reset back to standing and get back into our grip fighting and, and, and try to throw each other again. Um, uh, you know, judo. No chokes again, uh, either. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to clarify. There, there are no chokes in Sambo or at least again, sports Sambo. Combat Sambo is a different animal. It includes strikes, includes a, a larger variety of leg locks. There are chokes. Um, and there are also, uh, again, different organizations that have slightly different rule sets uh, in regards to, to the uniform and, and the allowable techniques. Um, so, you know, but, but the, the main international style of sports Sambo is, like I said, primarily a throwing art that has joint locks and also pins. Now, the pins that are used in Sambo, um, we require basically chest to chest contact. Uh, we need to hold the opponent down for, uh, man, I, I'm a little, uh, I believe it's only 20 seconds to, uh, score maximum points and pinning points do not inherently win you the match like they do in wrestling. Okay. Um, and you can only accumulate those points from pinning once in a given match. Once you've, once you've reached the maximum number of points for pinning, you either have to go on to, to set up a submission uh, and finish them with a submission, or they're going to stand it back up anyhow. Okay. So uh, then we look at like, like wrestling, freestyle, folk style, Greco, you know, obviously the pin is a much faster count and is an immediate termination of the match. Um, so pinning is a high priority, but a lot of matches are won with uh, points acquired through takedowns, throws and, and mat work. Uh, obviously the non catch wrestling styles of wrestling don't actually have submissions anymore. Although, uh, in, in their history, they, they did have, and there still are a lot of pinning positions like, like the, the wrestling guillotine or, or twister as jujitsu guys would know it. Um, you know, the spladle, uh, spread Eagle or, or banana split, you know, these are all potentially submission holds. They're still legal in like folk style wrestling and whatnot. They're primarily used for pinning the opponent. Um, uh, jujitsu, um, and again, there's a lot of differences between like gi and no gi, 
but jujitsu has unlimited ground time. Uh, the onus is on the top man to engage, which is a real bizarre rules kink that, that, that causes some, some weird differences. So, so like if I pull guard and end up on the ground, okay, the top man is not allowed to like run away and ask me to stand back up with him. Okay. Whereas he would be the, the, the guy who's standing still, we'd consider the guy stalling for not actively engaging in a forward direction to try and pass my guard and get into a better position. Okay. Whereas, you know, when we see MMA athletes, the guy who's on bottom, if he's not actively holding down his opponent and the other guy stands up, he's going to wave him up and be like, Hey, come up here, you know, stand and bang or wrestle with me. So, you know, like all these little variances in the rule set create a lot of different aspects of the metagame that changes from grappling style to grappling style. And one of the things I personally find most fascinating between studying all of these um, is finding the commonalities, like the things that work universally between all of them that that like when people talk to me about like grappling uh whether we're talking jujitsu judo wrestling it doesn't matter um and people use terms like basics and fundamentals i see it in a very different sense because a lot of people are looking at it from like a single discipline point of view and i'm looking at it from a multi-discipline point of view where i'll be like yeah you know that that's like a that's a that technique right there is something that's commonly taught in jiu-jitsu so they might consider it basic but it's actually not found or favored in any other style of grappling in the world so to me that's not a a fundamental technique that's that's a very jiu-jitsu niche technique um and i like seeing those like the core of my game or i try to be is the stuff that I could do potentially in multiple different disciplines and multiple different rule sets. And then we learn more specialist techniques as we go into the specialist rule sets. Wow. So what are, what are some of the techniques that you favor that cross over to like every art? Well, I don't want to be like Evie. I, I, I don't want to say that, you know, like, like <laughs> here's an example, learning a good double leg properly with the idea of knowing how to do it, whether submissions or strikes are, are involved, is a great idea. But as I just explained, it's completely illegal in judo. Okay? So I could have a double leg that works in MMA, it works in jiu-jitsu, it works in, in uh, uh, freestyle, it works in folk style, and it works in sambo, but it's not legal in judo and it's not legal in Greco-Roman. Okay? So that, that's, that's a technique that's worth it to learn in an overwhelming number of styles I would compete in, but would definitely have to be something I would have to take off the table completely in one of, well, I I don't compete in Greco. I've only trained a little bit in it really, but like in one of the styles I have competed in, which is judo. So finding something that's truly universal, we start breaking things down to like some pretty principled details where we're talking about like pressure, footwork, you know, hand fighting or grip fighting, you know, we use those terms, you know, hand fighting tends to be a term we use in, in no gi and wrestling. Grip fighting, you know, a term we tend to use in, in, in the jacketed sports, but the principles are, are very much the same. Okay. Just the, the, the details change. So things like that are, are real foundational aspects of grappling as a whole. And then we have to adjust to get into the rules specifics. So, uh, uh, you know, like, um, let's use a throw that is legal in every single one of those sports. Okay the shoulder throw or Ipan Sionagi or flying mare, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Where I grab the arm and I, I spin under and, and I throw you over my shoulder. Now in judo, in Sambo, in Greco Roman, in freestyle wrestling, 
these are all super high scoring techniques because because we're throwing the guy with force and impact we're landing him on his back in a vulnerable position um and and you know that that's going to be a big throw in any of those sports in jujitsu that is a legal technique okay but no matter how well i do it it's only ever going to be worth two points and in the process of doing it i'm potentially exposing my back okay so I'm not worried about that very much in a judo context because we go to the ground and I slam him with the, with the throw and it, it's over. I win. Okay. And I don't have to worry too much about the groundwork because we are, we're allowed very little groundwork in judo. Um, so while it's possible that that guy could counter me in such a way that he doesn't fall and instantly lose and then could choke me, it's very, very unlikely. It's something I'm willing to bet on. Whereas Sambo or Greco-Roman, I could do that exact same throw. And because there are no chokes, there's really no penalty for it. Sambo, I throw the guy. It, I could either total victory him or get four points for it, depending on how we land. Okay. Um, and in, in Greco-Roman, like that, that could be a five-point throw right there. Again, depending on amplitude and control and whatnot. But in jiu-jitsu, because I'll only ever earn two points and I'm exposing my back, this is actually a very risky thing. Because if I don't if I don't throw him with complete control and land in a good position, if he like drags me down to the ground or maybe jumps on my back midway through the throw, now I have to contend with him on my back in a high scoring position. He might get four points if he takes and puts the hooks in and starts controlling me. Um, and he might choke me out. So even though that technique is, is legal in all those sports that I just outlined, um, the risk versus reward isn't in favor of it in one of the sports, jiu-jitsu. Man, you see, that's that's great explanation on it. It really is. As, as a grappling athlete, especially like you, where you're doing all different kinds of rule sets, I got to think it's confusing. Like instinctively, I would I think you're always checking yourself like, oh, I better not do this. Or, you know, it's got to be hard to switch gears because, you know, if my go to is the heel hook or whatever it is, you know, that's that's kind of the the pros and cons. I think it's great to have, especially if you're I guess it's competing um, as opposed to just trying to to take moves into your game. That's gotta be, how, how do you even contend with that? That's gotta be a, a mind. So there's a, there's a couple of methodologies that we can use here. Um, one, and this is, this is the trickiest thing because like I said, jujitsu as a broad term has a lot of different rule sets. Okay. We have, we have some very big rule sets that are very popular, but then we have a lot of smaller tournaments that use some variation. And it's very much a, a matter of like, you better read, excuse me, man, sorry. You better read those rules and understand what you're signing up for and know what is legal and isn't legal. Um, but I've definitely made mistakes that have, that have either cost me matches because I got disqualified or I suffered a penalty. So like, there's a learning process to this. One of the things I would say is, and it's going to vary from athlete to athlete based on how they train and, and, and what their methods are, but like, I wouldn't personally like jump into a jujitsu tournament and then the next day go into a judo tournament. Okay. Like I'm going to, I'm going to prepare leading up to the tournament that I want to do grappling with my primary rule set that I'm competing under in mind. Okay. As we, you know, now if, if, if we're, you know, like if we're doing somewhat related arts, this is an easy changeover. Like I did, combat wrestling world championships and like i think a month later i did nogi worlds for jujitsu okay and those two rules 
different scoring and everything, but the actual technique selection that was allowed between the two of them, not that different. So I, I was able to focus on the same stuff. There was no problems with the difference in uniform. It's not like I was wearing a jacket for one and doing no gi for the other. Um, and so I was able to do those two competitions relatively close to each other and not feel like I uh, had to take any time off between them to like reset my training methods. Okay. But it would be relatively challenging for me to do, say, a gi jiu-jitsu tournament under the IBJJF rules, which are very, you know, very well laid out, strict, and, and you get a lot of specialists. Um, and then immediately switch gear and do like a, an EBI format sub only no gi tournament where, you know, all these submissions are on the board and nobody's playing for points because, because it's sub only and there are no points. So that would, that would require a significant paradigm shift. And I may need to take and do specialist rounds and specialist training leading up to that to sort of set my mentality, right. And make sure that I, I'm well-trained for the rules. Um, so, you know, like, again, this is going to vary from athlete to athlete, but I, I would say if, if your core selection of techniques are legal and functional in the majority of the sports you, you train for, then you're only altering for the edge cases. Okay. But if, and I feel like I beat up on guys with this all the time, but like if you're a jujitsu practitioner and you're playing a very grip dependent game, like a spider guard or a lapel guard or something like that, um, then suddenly going into no gi, all those grips vanish. You're no longer manipulating the jacket in any way. And if you don't have a very strong no gi game to immediately fall back on, there's going to be a bad adjustment period there. You'd be like, oh, I grab them for stuff that isn't there. You know, your, your favorite counter to a particular pass may not work because you, you were dependent on a grip you don't have or, or you know, things like that. Um, I find it not too difficult to go, like, again, when we have a related rule set, like, it, it's easy for me to go, okay, I can't do heel hooks here, but I can do ankle locks. These are, these are right next to each other. You know, I'll just make sure to set up all my – all my leg locks, you know, that, that I do off this side or, off, or in this setup, they're all going to end as an ankle lock. But it, it would be, it'd be pretty hard if like my whole game was based on say choking people. And then suddenly I enter a Sambo tournament. It's like, Oh, by the way, you can't do chokes. So you have to, you have to prepare yourself for what you're intending to do with correct training. And you know, like this is one thing I see a lot of guys make mistakes on um, not understanding how to make the score, like whatever, whatever your scoring techniques are, understand how the system scores them, understand what the rules are and how to rack up points. Because like, I, I take pride in like an overwhelming number of my victories are by submission, but I've definitely lost in some circumstances where like I got scored on and didn't make enough effort to score back. Um, so like I, I've learned through experience, like that, that understanding what scores and how to make a score and how to, you know, nullify your opponent's scores, like all of that rules minutia has to be understood. Uh, and obviously the more sports you compete in, sometimes the harder and harder it is to keep all of that separate. So it really, like I said, really does help to ramp up your training as, as you get closer and closer to a competition by doing specialized training with those rule sets in mind. That's a very thorough answer again. And, and he's right. I remember many years ago, we took a long ass road trip of over 300 <laughs> oh, I know miles where this is going. <laughs> to, a, to a tournament 
that when we got there, all of a sudden, leg locks are banned, you know, which was a... No, 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 no. Hold, hold on, hold on. All let, right, let yes. Me, yeah. You say so, the, so this is... Uh, I, I won't name the names or anything. Yeah, don't. But, uh, don't. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yes, we took a long road trip. We brought a, we, we brought a couple of guys up to compete. And um, going into this, uh, I was a pretty confident leg locker, like, like, like I explained before. I really liked leg locks, but I knew from personal experience and, and from rolling with other guys that did jujitsu and other martial arts, I felt that like my strongest offensive weapon was my heel hook. Okay. Like I had a decent ankle lock at the time, not as good as it is these days, but, but it was pretty decent and it worked off the same setups. But like, I, I knew the heel hook w- was, was my game over move. And leading up to the tournament, I was just doing rounds and rounds and rounds of getting on guys' legs because I felt like most jujitsu guys aren't good here. Heel hooks, heel hooks, my best way to finish. And I was, I was, I was just had it dialed in. And we get to the tournament, and the promoter gets on the on the microphone during like the, the beginning of the tournament, and he goes, "All right, guys, show of hands, who here considers themselves a world class heel hooker?" And I'm not going to lie. Like I looked around and I'm like, should I put my hand up? <laughs> like what, what kind of a, what kind of a terrible question yeah, is this? Like, I would feel so cocky. I would feel so cocky if I actually did, but I was like looking around, I'm like, is anyone else putting their hand up? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. And, and like, I didn't, but also nobody else in that tournament raised their hand either. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I didn't think so. Since none of you guys are world-class at heel hooks and they're so dangerous, we're not going to allow heel hooks at this tournament. And like, I looked at Tony, I was like, shit. <laughs> I was fuming. I was so pissed because it was a, it was bullshit. It was another way of, of stifling what we knew. And he was the only guy that I trained that had any experience or was good enough. There was one guy who, who just flew in the day before from uh, Sweden who knew nothing. But he came, you know, so he wasn't going to do anything. Martin had a broken nose and just had surgery, and he had to wear a mask, and uh, he wasn't very good at that time. He, he was only with me for a very short period of time. So, you know, it was, it was really all about taking Javier down there, you know. Yeah, sure so enough, that, that, yeah, go ahead. That was, a, you know, that, that was really shocking to me. Um, well, it cost was- you the matches because you kept instinctively Javier was getting on the legs. And they kept, they kept penalizing him. They kept taking points away. He ends up in third place, but it was bullshit. Yeah, no. And, and that was a very weird scoring system that they had because I ended up in third place basically by losing less than any other person in the division. So like I lost my matches, but I didn't lose them by as bad of a point penalty. Like, like, like that guy over there, he lost by submission. So he has like X number of points against him. I didn't get submitted by anyone, but I also wasn't, able to submit anyone in that tournament either if i recall so yeah i i wound up with like the weirdest third place ever for basically not being dominated as badly as anyone else that was also in contention for third place yeah and i just found it because like i said these guys even javier wasn't with me that long right i mean i'd have to look back but yeah it was uh, this this was probably within the first maybe two years maybe first year i can't remember exactly yeah first year because yeah, it was probably 2000 or so. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, you know, and the whole thing was just very, very aggravating. And, uh, 
you know, um, yeah, I just said, you know, this, this was a waste, you know, it was a wasted, wasted trip, you know, cause we came far, you know, we drove yeah, a long, long way for basically, you know, that, you know. And I would have like, like, I would have gladly, cause this was a guy that we knew, you know, it wasn't like just some random tournament that we just chose to enter. This is a guy that we knew through the grapevine and whatnot. I would have gladly competed at the same tournament and been fine with it. If you had just been told ahead of time that they weren't going to let allow heel hooks. Like I, you know, I would have just focused my training on something else. Mind you, like uh, again, all these years later, I, I regularly compete in rule sets that do not allow heel hooks, but I'm a much more advanced grappler and I have a, a wider array of techniques that I'm good at. You know, at the time I was like, ha ha, this is my secret weapon. And it got taken away from me. Well, so, and yeah. the thing is, though, he was instinctively going to the legs. Even though he knew he couldn't, he was still right. instinctively doing it because he was so well-versed at it. That's all we were focusing on, you know. And I've seen it happen in other sports, too, other things with different, you know, either with myself or friends of mine who were competing under a different rule set. They know the rules, but their instinct right. takes over. Right. Yeah, it's a habit. And those things are tough to break. You know, that's why you want to get rid of, you know, bad habits if you have them. But in this case, it was a last second, literally, rule change, a rule, uh, you know, acknowledgement that, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, you you have that. I've seen it. I mean, I've heard stories back in the 70s about karate tournaments pulling things like that. You oh, know? yeah. yeah. The, I mean, the, there's countless examples in in the fight world when we don't have like a universal rule set of people you know like managers arguing to get things changed last minute and you know things like that so it definitely happens but that was that that, that was definitely one of those early days frustrations yeah but you know the thing is in 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 hindsight it was you know a fun trip we were all together we we did our thing um but you know we were coming along back when people were just making up rules, just making things up, you know? And uh, I had another tournament before I knew Javier and I had two guys and what did they do? They, they knew that, I mean, these were two really good guys. They pit them, they pit them against each other right away. You know, there was no blind draw. They purposely did it, you know? So obviously immediately, one of my guys is out of the tournament. Right. Okay. This, this kind of bullshit stuff. Um, Brian Deneve was at a tournament, Southern Illinois, and he had his neck conditioned. So we knew that he could withstand chokes, you know, for about a minute. And they, they called out 15 seconds left and Brian's dominating the match. So the guy gets a choke on him, you know, a guillotine, no problem. You know, 15 seconds is you're not going to tap Brian out. Well, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, 45 seconds, a minute. And then finally, Brian goes unconscious. They cheated. I mean, plain and simple. He called the, the, you know, the timekeeper called out 15 seconds. The match should have ended after 15 seconds. Nope. You know, because I even told Brian, just stick, stay there. Were you there, Javier? No, no. I I remember that tournament. I I was at the gym, but that was very early days. Uh, I certainly wasn't traveling around with you guys yet. Total bullshit. Um, Again, you know, the and so – I want to say, like, some tournaments, like, this is a very rare rule. Some tournaments will have a rule where, like, if there's a locked-in submission at the end of the round, 
they're going to let it continue. Until this was you not escape. bad. But, but yeah, like that rule needs to be spelled out and very clear. It, and it's a it super wasn't. obscure thing. Um, Brian had steamrolled. I mean, people were coming up to Brian, you know, when he was after his first match or whatever, second match, he was looking like a stud. So, you know, right. And all, I mean, Brian had this match won, you know, and like I told him, just hold on, don't do anything, you know, because 15 seconds, they're not going to be able to choke him out. It wasn't possible. And, you know, and, it, and I was correct. It took a minute before he went out. And it was just, you know, uh, I, think, I think the guy may have ultimately apologized for it later on, like a month later on the Internet or something, because I let him have it. Um, it was just, a, you know, not a good thing. Just, and, you know, when you do stuff like that to other people, that's how your tournaments die. That's how you're, you're, you know, you're just yeah, it, not going to have, you know. It erodes the confidence. It does. That. And even in pool tournaments, when there's some shenanigans going on, you know, even before the, the Internet, word spread like grape, you know, like, you know, through the grapevine, you know, just word would spread like wildfire. And next thing you know, people aren't going to come to your tournament because you job somebody, you know, the right. tournament's not on the up and up, you know, calling in other people and whatever. I've seen it all. Um you know, that's why you got to watch out with some pool tournaments. You don't, you don't know what you're really you know, getting, getting yeah, into, even, but. You know, like not to name names, but even some fairly large organizations, um, certain regions they will do poorly in because they have a poor showing as a result of like repeated bad refing or something. And people will stop going to that tournament in that region. And, you know, they'll just stop visiting that area because it's no longer profitable. I, I've seen it quite a few times before where it's like, yeah, that tournament no longer comes here. Oh, why'd that happen? Oh, we had this one really bad situation and people stopped showing up. So like even, even like a relatively large organization that could happen to. So it's, it's always vital to, to have, you know, good refing, even enforcement of the rules, you know, mistakes happen. Don't get me wrong, but you know. Yeah, I've seen it and I've heard it, you know, I heard about it for, from a lot of people, uh, it's a shame, but you know, they, they, it's ego. It's, it's all about pride. Um, you know, one of my other guys against my better judgment entered a, a tournament. I said, you shouldn't. Um, and I had the flu. I was so deathly ill. I couldn't go, but it, it was just literally a joke because the guy that he fought, the referee was his training partner. The judges were all from the guy's school. I mean, if I was there, I would have said no match. There's, you're not right. unless you can submit them. And, and my student at that time was was new, you know, relatively new. Not not you know, I don't want to mention any names, but you know, he wasn't. I mean, I ready. I remember who you're talking about. Yeah, right. He was by no way should he have been even competing. But yet he was still dominating this match, which was you know, blew me away. But you know, they they wouldn't give it to him, you know, and uh, they they gave it to the other guy, you know, the, the points, which was sad but you know he got really discouraged but i i told him don't be because you you had no chance unless you tapped him out and even then who knew because i've seen now my guys weren't involved in this but i've seen where there were submissions and they were made to let go and then they restarted them because the the, the ref at the at the point just made something up because their guy that they wanted to win was going to lose right. so i I don't want to say that never happens. I don't want to say that never happens anymore, but like I have not seen something quite that blatant in a long time. It wasn't ultimately like a a bad 
ref call or a misunderstanding or something like that. But yeah, like certainly the, certainly some of the larger tournaments that, that would be heavily protested. Hopefully we could get a, you know, some type of overturn if, if something like happened. But, um, but yeah, that's a real concern. One of the things I tell guys, especially, especially guys that are kind of new to competition is, uh, you know, like, like everyone talks about grappling as like a, an individual sport and granted, like your personal performance is largely individual. Um, you know, like you, you don't have a team out there simultaneously passing the ball to you and whatnot, like, uh, like other sports. But, uh, at the end of the day, this is very much a team sport in terms of how we prepare. And when you step onto the mat, you're not just going against the guy that you're competing against. You are in effect facing two other people as well. And that other person is the ref and the opponent's coach. So you have three men that you're fighting in almost any given grappling match. Sometimes more if we have corner refs and whatnot. Now, not, this is not to say that the ref is always against you, but my default assumption is the ref is not on my side. The ideal situa- situation is he's going to be a neutral arbiter of the rules who's looking to protect both fighters equally, okay? But I never assume he's on my side. And if you're not on my side, you're, you're, you're against me. Okay? Okay. And certainly, certainly the opponent's coach, you know, he, he's doing his best to make sure that his athlete sees every opportunity, make sure that the judge is, is going to score every point. You know, uh, we, we get very vocal coaches, you know, sometimes come off as uh, in, incredibly antagonistic towards the referees, but that's their job. You know, their job is to make sure their athlete gets scored for everything, even when maybe he shouldn't, you know? So at the end of the day, you're, you're fighting the guy in the ring with you. You're fighting the referee, not literally, <laughs> and, and you're fighting against the guy's coach. Um, so yeah, I, I tell most of my guys, they're, they're not fighting one the guy, they're fighting three. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard mind. You know, it's not for everybody. In some schools I know, I've had students quit schools and, you know, and tell me all they cared about was me competing, and I don't want to compete necessarily, or I don't want to do this or that. And it became more about the school owner or the instructor and his accolades than it did about the performance of the, uh, or the progression of the, uh, of the student. And for me, I, you know, I want you to be the best that you can be. It's up to me to try to bring out the best in you. Um, and that's all, that's, that's all that matters to me. And I think every school should be like that. You know, it's, it's like, man, you want to produce quality students. You don't need another trophy on your wall for your business. You know, um, I mean, Granted, for, for a lot of people, that does look real good. When you walk into a new school as a new student, you, you see a bunch of trophies and medals. But, like, I don't know how to say this, or like, it doesn't seem overly dismissive, but, like, your average new student doesn't know what any of that shit actually means. Like, like I, I, I could put my name and say, you know, multiple-time world champion and hang a bunch of medals and whatnot, but, like, that new student doesn't know whether my world championships are in anything valuable. He's just assuming they are. Cause it says world champion. He doesn't know if that gold medal that I've got hanging on that wall over there is like from the hardest tournament in the world or the easiest one, you know, like, so like at the end of the day, yeah, sure. That, that that's cool stuff. And it oftentimes impresses people, but then you get deeper into things and it's like, well, how much does that actually mean? Like, did you win a world championship in, in some no nothing tournament? Is, is that gold medal from, from a time when there was like one other person in your division? So yeah, uh, definitely not the thing that I would judge a school by, even though again, it, it, I feel like it, it's oftentimes impressive 
just in general, the people that don't know anything. And photographs is another one. Or I train with this guy or that guy. They like to name yeah. drop that. I cannot stand people who name drop. Now, if you just say it in casual, oh, yeah, I, I worked out with such and such. But, you know, there's people who just make their living, their whole life, their whole career is based on having maybe one seminar with this guy, one with that guy, da 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 you know. Uh, or, or the photographs, and you know, and I won't mention the name because I think you're the guy that told me, one very, very famous martial artist who, in essence, refuses to allow his picture to be taken unless you've been with him, you know, you 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 know, you know, train with him substantially because I guess people were just getting their picture taken with him yeah. and then going back to their gym and claiming that they studied with him. I've right. had that and shit happen to me. I, 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 can't, I can't stand that. Like, actually... Tony, this is something that I kind of want to ask you and, and talk to you about. Go so, ahead. and this is, in my opinion, this is not a very cut and dry situation, but oftentimes people will ask me, like, what makes someone a catch wrestler? Okay. And for me, this is a very complex question because like on one layer, the first layer, certainly if you've competed in a catch wrestling tournament, you have some right to call yourself a catch wrestler as an athlete you, you you've competed under the rule set you've you've you know whether you you know <laughs> whether you actually know catch wrestling or not you definitely have done some catch wrestling rules tournament that that, that gives you some right to that terminology and certainly if you've made an extensive study of a martial art you know you've you've got that right you know to, to call yourself a catch wrestler but there's a lot of there's a lot of gray space between there where it's like, oh, I've, you know, I'm a jujitsu trained athlete, but I use catch wrestling moves that I learned from this DVD or I trained at a seminar or, or took a couple of classes or whatever, you know, like all, all different things along the spectrum here. You know, like, are you, are you bothered when people use that term and then you dial it in and you're like, eh, how much of a catch wrestler are you? You know, what yes. are your feelings on this? Yes, to a degree, yes, yes. Let me put it to you this way. Um, one, And I'm not going to give the whole story. I'll give you two quick anecdotes that will probably clarify my position on things. Um, I wasn't accepted or told that I was a wrestler, even though I may have uttered those words and I had to pay the price for it, until Rod Von said I was, my coach. And then years go by, and I knew how good I was, and I felt, and I still do, do to this day, that there was nobody in the world better than me. I'm sorry, but that's, I think the test of time has proven that, at least in my mind it has. And yet I never said I'm a hooker or anything. I never did. I just said, you know, whatever. It wasn't until Lou Thez said, Tony, you're a hooker. Welcome to the club. So then I'm like, wow, it was the greatest, you know, awesome thing. It was my gold medal. So that's how I would answer your question. You're not a catch wrestler or you're not a whatever until someone that really is accepted as that acknowledges you as that. Okay. You can call yourself whatever you want. Doesn't mean it's true. I had a tennis match once. I only played racquetball before then. I never played tennis before in my life. I had one match. I got smoked. Does that make me a tennis player? Because I, I actually had a, I was in a tennis tournament and got wiped out right away. No. So for me, Javier, um, it's good to say I study catch wrestling or I study judo or this or that. 
But, you know, let it be to someone who's above you, somebody who's knowledgeable, who's, a, and, who's acknowledged by their peers as exceptional. Let them label you. Let them say, you know, you're a really good judoka or you're a jujitsu man for sure. Um, otherwise, it's, it's tooting your own horn. And you know me. You knew me. Uh, well, no, you didn't know me before I knew Lou. You knew me afterwards. Right. But Bruce Lee uh, knew me uh, bef- before. And Brian met me the same day that I met uh, uh, Lou Thez. Um, but yeah, I didn't go around calling myself a hooker, which for those of you don't know, that's it. That's the highest level there is. There's, there was only, I was only the fourth one alive at that time. And now out of those four, I'm the only one left alive and hopefully I'll be alive for, for, for years. Um, but it was Lou who gave me that, that honor, right. that distinction. And that's how I think, you know, it should be, you know, um, like, same with music. Yeah, you can say you're a musician. You know, if you're if you're a, a jobbing musician, you're playing music. You know, okay. You know, yeah, it's 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 common sense. But you're right. Just competing or just having a you know a little bit of exposure to it doesn't necessarily mean that you're a catch wrestler. You could be studying or learning it from someone. But yeah, I believe there has to be a level right. that you reach. I mean, and that's part of the reason why years ago when people told me you should, you know, allow these people to open up these these clubs, this and that. I'm like, well, if they want to study with me, if they're going to be under me so I can teach them and open it. So I know that if they're opening up a club, they're they're passing along legitimate, proper right. techniques, quality control, quality control. And they did not want to submit to that. They just wanted to have their. So a lot of people turned away because they knew that I wasn't just going to give them a a diploma or, or, you know, give them the blessing to do it. So they searched until they found other people who didn't give shit, you know, who didn't have the ability to really train them high, highly, but they'll just allow them to open up these satellite clubs and call themselves whatever. And it's not just limited to catch wrestling. Other no, styles, no, certainly not. You know, they have, yeah. and I was one of the guys that was true to, to my word. It may have hurt me in my business, but these people are not catch wrestlers. Their techniques do not stand up to the test of time. And, you know, I, I feel sorry for some of them that they don't know any better. They got sucked in. They, they believe the hype, but my guys never did that. And if, if somebody's that, that had one or two lessons or no lessons with me and is claiming to be trained under me, I'd like to know. And in the past people, it has come to my, uh, uh, not, uh, you know, to my attention and I've shut that shit down immediately. I just had to do it recently over the holidays. Okay. That with is. someone yeah. Someone I know or no? No, I don't even know this guy. Okay. I never met him. He just started emailing. <laughs> he lives in another country. He just started emailing me, tell, calling me coach and saying, you know, I'm your representative and all this. You don't, you're not my representative. I never even met you. You never trained with me. He never even bought a video product of mine. You know, and I let him know nicely in the email. Don't, you know, if you're enrolled in my training program, I try to see, even that doesn't allow you to immediately start teaching. You have to get to a certain level. Now, you can tell people I'm training under Tony. That's the truth. Right. Don't just sit here and start saying, yeah, I'm with him, this, that. And that, yeah, that bothers me. So, and I, and I, like I say, I know a lot of other people that have, have come to me and said, yeah, I went to this school. They claim to be catch wrestlers. They're a joke. Catch wrestling sucks. Yeah. yeah because that, of the people that you went to, you know, are frauds. You, you know, you shouldn't be going to them. 
okay, you, you know how I get. I'm upset now because we've been putting up with this for years. Right. And, um, you know, the shit didn't really hit the fan until after Lou passed away, you know, because now everybody everybody claimed whatever they wanted to claim because, you know, Lou, Lou put the hammer down, you know, especially on guys that had nothing to do with me, old timers that mm-hmm. were nothing but jobbers or workers. And that's all they ever claimed as long as Lou was alive. Then once Lou died, then all of a sudden everybody was a superstar. No. So it, it and I'm sure, Javier, that it happens in jujitsu and in judo. Does. Yeah. Um, but again, without mentioning names, I was told that there was a, a actual legitimate judoka guy had skills that was basically selling black belts. I don't know if he's right. still, this is going back years ago, you know, no, and, it's, it's, um, I mean, I, I won't name names, but before I had actually formally studied judo, I was basically told because I, mind you, I had a jujitsu and a wrestling background, Japanese jujitsu and wrestling background at the time. Um, you know, but I was basically told that like, you know, Hey, you know, send this guy this much money, you record yourself doing these throws, these submissions and whatnot, and he'll rank you up in judo. And I'm like, does his first and last name start with the same letter? <laughs> no, no. Oh, then there's another one of them. Okay. <laughs> oh, I'm sure there's more than one, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And like, I had no interest in that. I, I wanted to learn judo and eventually I, I went to a legitimate club with le- legitimate coaches and did so. But yeah, it was just like that, that. What a, what a horrible path to get to something, you know, especially so especially something that should require as much work as say a black belt in judo or or jiu-jitsu or whatever oh it's 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 heart heartbreaking especially when you're a judoka that or like me with my thing that we i love it it's my life okay it's, it wasn't a business it wasn't anything it was it was my life it saved my life it was all i had growing up i love this catch wrestling i can say this more than anybody on planet earth anybody because i've been at it that legitimate non-performance catch wrestling longer than anybody. And it's all I ever had, you know, it pulled me through, you know, it pulled me through my childhood, you know, and then later on the music was a, you know, helped soothe me and, and everything. But, you know, so I am very protective and highly critical. Um, but as you know, me, you know, me longer than Joe Cardinal. I'm not critical about other things. I can easily sit there and, and, and I have done this brag about this amateur wrestler or this boxer, how unbelievable they are, Bill Wallace or this guy or that guy. But if you suck at something, I'm not going to sit there and say you're good. And, you know, most people, when it comes to like the submission game, don't impress me. Now that doesn't mean everybody, but I'm, I'm hard to, to please because I've seen a lot of bad stuff. But when you look at a, Oh, like when Tyson was in his prime. Yeah, he had – there were defects in his thing, but he was so positive. His, he was so amazing and so – oh, man, he could do things, right? He was, he was incredible. And there's been a lot of boxers like that and amateur wrestlers that just were, you know, outstanding. And, and, and other sports, you know, I watch some guys shoot pool that are just it, – it blows my mind that they're near perfection. But, you know, if, if, if you're not that good, if you're not at that level – you know, I'm going to tell you, you know, I actually I have a very distinct memory. I cannot remember the, the, the I believe it was a pair of brothers. Um, you might remember the, the fine details of it, but uh, they did Taekwondo. And I remember coming into the gym. I believe we were still in Stone Park 
and you were just ranting and raving about how amazing their kicks were because they had like sent you a training video or something like that. And you're like, these guys are amazing. They're incredible. Da, 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 da. And this was in an era where already most people were like, ah, Taekwondo is useless. It doesn't work in the UFC or whatever. And I just remember you going on and on about how, you know, how, how incredibly accurate and fast and powerful their kicks were. And it was really cool, you know, to like see you rant and rave about some other martial art that you were not a specialist in um, and, and like, and view it that way. Um, and it just always stuck with me. I wish I could remember who it was that, well, I know who, who it was. I won't mention names, but yeah, he actually, okay. uh, last I heard from him, he, uh, uh, closed his school. He became a New York city police officer. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, mm. but he was just, uh, you know, phenomenal. Yes, yes, yes. And, uh, uh, I actually still have a shirt from his school that, that, that he used to have. And he gave one for, to me and Kevin and, or Kevin and I and a pair of shorts, but yeah, that's just the thing. I'll give credit where credit is due. You know, I'll even say on somebody that's generally not overall very good, but they may, they may be good at something. And I'll say to him, Oh man, you know, he's really good at this, you know, but right. this part, nah, not so much, you know, but, yeah, I'm not into this. Uh, you know, I seen the best. Okay, I, I mean, you guys never were with Rod Von, and you guys didn't really know Luthez, um, and just some other people that I knew through the years that were just like phenomenal, right? And it, it, it have, and it, you know, in music or whatever else, Pool, you know, these guys were like a, as good as they get. Okay, in the world, in what they do. So I know what it's like to be around greatness and I'm honored and pleasured in my life to say that I was around guys that were the very best in the world at what they do. And when you're around somebody like that, you cannot take mediocrity for too long of a period of time. And these world's best, they give off a vibe, man. It's just something about them. They have that quiet confidence. They're not meek. They're not like super necessarily humble. They're not going to sit there and say, Oh, geez, I'm no good. No, they'll say, no, I, I know what I can do. You have to have that confidence to get to that level, especially if, it, it, if it's an interactive thing. You know, like if you're a pool player you got, or a fighter, you got to have the confidence to know you can beat your opponent. If you're a musician, you got to know that you're good enough to play with other players that are, you know, as good as you. You know, music, you know like if you're a piano player, you're, you're good enough to play with Buddy Rich or somebody. You know, so um, I've been lucky, man. And, and I, I've been lucky to know these people. And, uh, you know, a guy like Angelo DePippo out of New York City, man, he was he, he's still going. He was he was in the movie um, uh, The Godfather. He played in the, the wedding scene in the beginning. Uh, a great accordionist, maybe the greatest technique of all time, uh, and a, a famous arranger. You know, he's worked with everybody in New York. Jerry Sigler, Ronnie Moon, Lou, Stanley Rodvon, you name it. I mean, these guys were the very best at what they did. How much luckier can I be? Maybe the rest of my life is is for shit. <laughs> but at least I can right. say I met these guys. And then I meet people like you and Joe and Nico and everybody else that have become not my students, but my friends that I'll take a bullet for and die for. And that I've shed tears with, you know, and, and shit like that. Uh Man, I'm lucky that way, but but you're you're not going to get me to just sit there and say, hey, you know, this guy's good. That's why I I won't give out endorsements, man. Don't ask me, I won't do it. If if I give out an endorsement, it's not because you asked. It's because it's the right thing for me to do, you know. And you you I I I fully endorse you, hundred hundred and twenty thousand percent, you know. Period. Thank you. 
And uh, let me just say that, you know, through my travels and through my training, I've, uh, I've shared the mat with uh, world champions in almost every grappling discipline on earth. Um, I've trained with uh, elite level athletes that compete in MMA. I've uh, trained with Olympians in wrestling and judo. Uh, so to say that I've been exposed to, uh, to some of the best guys in the world is, is putting it mildly. And uh, that's why I just got to say that, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, when I say Tony's got the goods, he's got the goods. Well, thank you, Javier. I'm glad you didn't compare me to the female Jello wrestling world champion. Well, you know, Joe's still here online. So, you know, Joe, take it away. Yeah, yeah. you got to acknowledge greatness when you see it. That's <laughs> well, Javier has gifts, you know, and, and I've bragged about Javier for forever. You know, I just wish, you know, that Javi could have met me when I was in my prime, you know, when I was 20 something or whatever, or. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're 13 years older than me, man. I yeah, but you like didn't seven. meet me until after I had my aneurysm, you know. That's true. Um, That's true. I had that aneurysm in 93. You came along after that. So even up till then, huh? I I believe I've told people this before. Just back me up or correct me. Uh, You started training with Stanley at the age of 13, right? Correct, correct. So that was 1976 or 77? 77. Yeah. So I was born in 77. So I can literally say this about my, my friend and coach, Tony. He's been doing catch wrestling for as long as I've been alive. And people wow. look at me with my level of experience and they're like, oh my God, you've been training grappling for over 20 years. I'm like, you don't even understand. <laughs> yeah. So you have been doing catch wrestling as, as your, your primary art for my entire life. Maybe that's, give or take a couple of months, depending on the timing, I guess. But yeah. Well, that's strange. Yeah, that puts it all in perspective. And I've been doing it legitimately, not as a performer, like, you know, professional wrestler and all that, you know, doing it legitimately. Um, But yeah, I mean, and that's just, well, I didn't realize that, uh, you know, oh, you really make me feel old. Um, That's what I'm here for. Yeah, right. Well, I don't (laughs) mind getting, I don't mind getting old. I just, you know, don't want to, I don't want to get totally washed up. A little washed up is fine, but not totally, but your body starts to betray you, but, um, but yeah, but no, I mean, I've, again, to harp on it, I'm like the keep, I, I never thought that this would ever happen, but I truly believe that I'm the keeper of the flame at this point, because I've, I, what I've seen out there is discouraging. Let's put it that way, you know, um, and if that's what they're into, that's fine, you know, do it. But, you know, it's, what I do is different. So I'm the keeper of my flame, of my style of, of fighting, and that's what I mean by that. And as long as you're around and Costa and some others that I've trained, Brian and, you know, what have you, um, you know, I'm sure that it's going to live on even if something happens to me and either I'm not here or I just finally decide, hey, it's, it's about time for me to make a living doing this, right, get, get into something else. Um, but I'm better off for, for knowing you guys, you know, I don't train people I don't like and everybody I like, or everybody I train is a likable guy. You know that. Right. Yeah. We know we very fortunately never had that problem at the gym. Like where we had to be like, listen, you're, you're not a good fit here. Get out. 
No, it's happened, but yeah, but I won't. Well, not, not with anyone long term, though. Like, like, right, you, right, like, figure right. it out right away. Well, what I what what you can learn from me is literally how to kill a man with your bare hands quickly. That's not for everybody. Not everybody should know this stuff. Okay, period. <laughs> I mean, let's man, be honest. I, <laughs> right? I I've straight up discussed this with people. Like, like, given you know the martial arts in general here, I'm I'm not calling out any one specific style or anything, but given what we do, um, it's kind of amazing that like nobody even does like a cursory background check on anyone. We just assume that when a paying customer comes in, that they're of good faith, you know, that, that they, they're, they're a good person, we're generally interested, but we're teaching them things that, you know, could be used in some pretty brutal situations. And if they're not a good person, that's a, that's a real, that's a real risk in, in, in that. So obviously for a commercially viable, viable school, you know, we just kind of have to open the door to everyone. And one of the benefits of the way that you've done it, which is much more like a, I mean, I always felt like it was more like an apprenticeship than it was like a a strict, like a a dojo or, or other gym membership type situation. Um, Like you have that opportunity to really know your guys and, and meet them and, and assure yourself that they are of good character. But before you say, teach them how to choke a man unconscious or break their limbs. Yeah, that's probably true. It doesn't help you financially. It ruins you. You can't, you know, you, I had to make a decision to live way below a standard of living that I would have liked because it's not for everybody. Um, the training is, you know, right. It's, it's very grueling and difficult, but yeah, I, I want to get to know somebody. I want to make sure because, uh, you know, when you start to get into this, yeah, this is stuff that you could cripple somebody or kill them. And I don't want to have that responsibility that I put my knowledge in the, in the wrong hands. Um, and conversely, there are forces or agencies out there that really need to learn from me as opposed to what they're learning because it's just going to jeopardize the, themselves, you know, be it law enforcement or certain military organizations because, you know, those are the types that need what I have um, more than, more than most people, you know, um, well, I, well, I definitely agree with the overall sentiment there. The one thing I would say, especially over this last couple of years, well, I guess really just the last year, um, like certainly there's a lot more restrictions on law enforcement now than ever before. Well, that's why I think they need what I, I teach now more than ever before, because I teach them how to control a person. Okay. Certainly. Whereas, That's where that's what's lacking now. They're not studying. They're studying other styles. That it's not about control. It's about, you know, getting a position and looking for a submission. No, 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 no. Uh-uh. You, you have to control. And I've always said this. When you know what I know, if I could impart that knowledge to you, the, the, the chances of you having to use deadly force go way down. It's when you don't know enough and you know just enough to be you know, uh, get yourself in a dangerous situation. Now you're in a scramble and you're getting overpowered or you're getting outmaneuvered or you're dealing with uh, such a hostile uh, subject here that you're not used to in in the gym. Now you may have entered into a situation where you're going to have to use deadly force because especially in a grappling situation, you now put this guy closer to your weapons as as a law enforcement officer. Uh, Let's stick with them, you know. I, I train with a, a, a number of uh, uh, of uh, police officers uh, in various departments, 
uh, and at the various schools that I train at. One of the things that, you know, I've talked about is like, and I'm, I'm not beating up on whether we're talking judo or jujitsu or, 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 or whatnot. Um, like most of them are going to spend an enormous amount of time in their gear with their duty belt on. And at no point in time are we actually rolling like that. Like, like you're in right. a gi or you're in your, your, you know, your rash garden and, and board shorts and whatever, you're no gi gear. Um, so like, I feel that if you're serious about using this for, you know, day-to-day operations, you should probably have some special training sessions that focus on like weapon retention, awareness, things like that. Um, you know, focus on the techniques that you're legally allowed to do without getting yourself into trouble, which obviously precludes various chokeholds and whatnot. Now, uh, certain pain compliance holds aren't even allowed that, that would have been taught, you know, just a few years ago on the force. Uh, so yeah, I feel like a, a, a lot of guys, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not, I think just the act of training jujitsu or wrestling or MMA or whatnot helps prepare them for things. Uh, I, I think it definitely helps with dealing with adrenaline and, and you know, like doing, uh, uh, doing live drilling is going to prepare them mentally for a lot of the, uh, the worst case scenarios, you know, like nothing is worse for than somebody who's untrained getting in a bad position and not knowing what to do at all. But it's definitely horrible if they like lock up cause they're not used to, you know, being underneath somebody, they get that claustrophobia or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, like, like I, I think uh, a lot of officers probably could do with, with, with uh, technique and, and training methodologies that are tailored around the, the very specialist needs that they have and the, uh, the situations they're most likely to encounter. Yeah. We saw it when we were at Triton where they were training some law enforcement officers and the, the instructor even got a little intimidated. And at one point he said, well, this stuff's not going to work against guys like him meaning me and you guys, but yeah. they were basically used to barking out commands, you know, telling the, uh, the, the suspect to do this, do that. Well, that's okay. If they're listening to you. Yeah. yeah. So long as they're compliant. Right. But when they're not, then you, then, then it's on. But um, yeah, you know, it's just, you know, he, look, the, the bottom line is um, I've done what I've done. My best years are behind me. You know, I'm, I'm looking to, you know, enjoy my golden years and, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but you know, if I keep telling people, you know, the best way to is, is the tri C program, because you can do this at your, out of your own gym, out of your own house, no matter where you live, you know, and as you know, we've had people from all over the world. I believe every continent has come at one point or another to train. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's been every continent on earth has come to train somebody from there, you know, um, but, uh, with the, Antarctica? Tri- with... no, so not, <laughs> not, not that one. Although a couple of, a couple of women have given me the cold shoulder. That's so true. true. <laughs> they, they may have been from Antarctica, but, uh, but yeah, well, no, you know, I just, I was going to say with, uh, you know, obviously this last year has been particularly arduous for, for people doing the kind of stuff that we do. Uh, a lot of, a lot of gym closures locally, you know, across the States with, with COVID and whatnot. And, and even guys that, you know, may not have closed, not all, not all gyms are, are in the best financial condition because of reduced membership and the, and the risks of, of, of exposure and whatnot. But uh, hopefully, uh, you know, as, as this vaccine gets out there more, as, as things start opening up, we can start getting some more, uh, some more seminars, but something now, obviously you've got the, you've got the Tri-C program. Uh, we've talked about it briefly here, um, but 
uh, with you know the advent and popularity of technologies like what we're using right now, Zoom to to do the the, the podcast here. Um, would there be any interest from on your end of maybe doing like a like an online like like, like a joint in class slash online type seminar at some point? You know, perhaps we could. Uh, set I mean, that up if we if we would practice it because you know i don't have you know it would be difficult i mean i could be an observer and try mm-hmm. to you know yeah walk people through it um otherwise i'd have to have a body here right, right that's and, what I meant. Like, and another like body to run the camera um i got enough cameras and, and everything but yeah that's that's always a possibility too i'm open to all of that um and we're, we're Joe and I have been talking about a couple other things like a monthly membership thing where they'd get at least one video a month, um, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I don't see this year even being for the country to get back to normal based on everything that I've listened to and read, you know, right. especially like with the vaccine rollouts and everything. Um, Dr. Fauci mentioned something in best case scenario that things might get back to quote unquote normal around november you know and then pretty late yeah yeah so this year for most people are going to be a wash and i think it's going to but yeah with this technology i mean i could do a lot like the the tri c is much easier now than it was years ago where people had to send me videotapes through the mail now (laughs) yeah actual physical physical tapes Yeah. yeah but um no i've got to do something because you know i haven't i've said this before i don't get any aid i don't get unemployment or any anything you know and i don't work anymore uh last time i trained anybody was i believe the end of february last year when i was in chicago for the last time and then covid kicked in in about march so um we we basically a year chicago basically shut down right around saint patrick's day right right and we were the, the 17th of march or whatever Right. So I think the last weekend of February is when I was in Chicago last first weekend of March. We didn't, I don't think, believe we worked out. I'd have to look through my, it doesn't matter anyway. It's right, still right. roughly around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, we're already in February tomorrow. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you know, it's been very, very difficult for me. And, and I know a lot of other people who own businesses that they're gone. They're permanently gone. Yeah. They, they'll never open up again. And not just martial arts. I'm talking restaurants, taverns, oh, yeah, no, restaurants, bars. Stores. Yeah. yeah, I feel like uh, I mean, uh, you know, I, I feel like bars and and small restaurants that that didn't adapt well because you know some of them were able to do outdoor seating during the better weather and and, and so on and so forth. But like a, a lot of those, like I, I definitely see a lot of businesses fold in, in my area in the areas that I hang out in. You know, so yeah, it's uh, a, a lot of bars are gone. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, well, and yeah, and gyms too. I mean, I don't even go to my I joined the planet fitness. I don't go because people around here don't take this seriously. And my mom has not been vaccinated yet. Right. Uh, so I'm not going to catch something and give it to her and, and have it kill her. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can't risk that. So, you know, um, but you know, I've, I've kind of gone on a few rants tonight, but it's, it's because you're here and you know, all the trials and tribulations that we've gone through all these, you know, 20, 25 years. I think I've been on the internet for, 25 years, something like that. Yeah, 24 or 25, call it 25. Been through a lot, man. But, you know, uh, I just love this more than anybody because it's my life, okay? I mean, I, I like you said, I've been doing this 43 years. 
I mean, when I think about that, you know, that's uh, going to, it's going to be what, 44 years come this year. Okay. Um, yeah. Come, come summer, it'll be 44 years that I've been at this. That's just amazing to me. And, uh, you know, I'm highly defensive of what I, you know, of it because it's just, it's my life, you know, and, and sadly, you know, people who talk shit, if they would have just shut up and trained in two or three years, they would have had legitimacy and they would have by now been, you know, well accomplished, you know, as opposed to, you know, dodging shadows when you don't have the skill to back it up, you know, when you're running, like when you're, when you're running on bullshit, you're going to eventually run out of shit. Okay. But when you have talent, I don't care what it is, talent in anything, you could be that quiet guy. You know, I don't go on the internet and drop names or do anything. I don't market myself. I keep to myself, but I know that I have the talent. I know that you have the talent. I know that others have the talent and they have their talent by just showing up. They don't get talent by berating people and making things up about other people. You never have, you know, you've stood tall and look at you. You're, you're a multi-time world champion. I mean, come on, that's, that's fantastic. And you didn't have to create a tournament to become a world champion. You didn't have to try to, you know, uh, stack the deck, you know. No, no. In fact, I, I, I take, you know, and it took a number of years to evolve this methodology. I, I've talked to a lot of uh, a lot of my coaches and friends that, that are also competitors. And um, one of the things that I wanted to do really was be able to be able to prove that I could hang in not every because I'm still there's still tournaments that I haven't competed under the rule set, but could hang in, in just about any rule set, even when they were taking away some of my favorite tools, even when, you know, uh, we're, we're playing with, uh, with elements that maybe weren't my strong suit. I wanted to be able to show that, that what I do um, could be tailored and adapted and could be effective pretty much no matter what. Well, you mission accomplished. And that's what, you know, that's what I'm so proud of you for, you know, because um, you did it. And, you know, I remember many years ago, People kept asking me, make up, start a tournament. And I remember you were part of it. Y'all, here's my rules. And they didn't even want to do it. They're like, forget it. So, right. you know, that's what a lot of people have done. They'll just start their own rule set so they can, you know, stack the deck. You didn't do that. And no, none of the guys that I've trained have done that. They've all, and I've trained guys that fought in the UFC, um, Pancration, you know, Sambo, different tournaments. And I'm proud of that. And weightlifting, you know, and, and all of that stuff. So I'm, for me, I'm proud that I was able to be the one-stop solution for a lot of people. You want to learn to strike, I can teach that, da-da-da-da-da. I'm proud of that. But I'm most proud of the fact that guys like you took this knowledge, developed it for yourself, in, increased your enthusiasm and, and, and set your goals and and succeeded. And others have as well. And that's what, you know, that's just I mean, I'm, I'm very pleased and ha I'm so happy for you guys. You know, um, I kind of feel bad that I let my music teachers down. I never m went anywhere with the jazz accordion. Um, that's not their fault. It was 100% my fault. I feel bad about that. But there's, you know, they know how, well, Ronnie's dead. But, you know, Jerry, Jerry knows when I, 
when I had that aneurysm in the nine, in 93, he was there for that. That, that just killed me. You know, that, that literally not physically almost did, but it just killed my music career because my fingers never came back. My memory, my brain was never the same. So that kind of pulled the rug out from under me. Um, but thank God you never had anything crippling like that, that ended that for you. But you're an inspiration. Oh, is that your wife telling you it's time to eat? That was me knocking on wood before. Oh, I... <laughs> knock on wood. Well, okay. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm sorry too. I should apologize for, for, you know, getting hot under the collar with people, but man, it's just that until you walk in somebody's shoes and, you know, I've, I've gone through the ringer with people. That's why I stay off the internet. I just have my um, website, but I don't go to forums or anything like that. And, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I just wish some of the old guys that I knew were still around, man. I really do because the world would be different. The, the, the catch wrestling world would be different. The shenanigans wouldn't have, they wouldn't have taken root. I guarantee you that. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I guess we should probably be hitting the trail there. Joe, you said you had this blocked off till 830. Yeah, we got to dial in, but thanks, Javi, for uh, joining in. It was great to have you, man. There's just tons of great stuff came up today, so it was really appreciated. We have to have him back so we can talk happy stuff, some of the fun stuff we did in this year. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Sure yeah, pizzas. No. Uh, I, I don't want to be like any time, but like we could definitely set this up, uh, you know, just as long as I know in advance, I can put some time aside and make it happen. So, and we have to Glad. talk later off, offline about the online seminars or something. Okay. All right, guys. It was good talking to y'all. Good yep. talking to you. Good talking to you guys. Good awesome. talking and, and in this case, also seeing, you know, thanks yeah. technology for that. All right. Talk to you guys soon.